Each choice we make moves us toward fear or love. On my Life and Laughter podcast, we'll talk about those choices and learn how to attract more love and connection and laughter. This is Perry Kinder. Let's get started. Life and Laughter listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Life and Laughter podcast. I am Perry Kinder, and I am so grateful to have you here today. It's going to be a great discussion because I have Roger Tuttle back on the show. He was on episode 20 with me, and he we talked about images and our favorite pictures and what they mean to us. And not only is he an award-winning photojournalist, he teaches photojournalism at the University of Utah and will teach a course in documentaries in the spring of 2023. So if you're in Utah and you want to be a photojournalist or a documentary documentarian, <laughs> is that, that a word? That'll work. Then look at the U of U schedule and register because he is amazing. Welcome back, Roger. Thank you, Perry. <laughs> so glad you're here today. So glad to be here. And we're talking today about the value of photojournalism. And first of all, what what drove you into this kind of profession? Um, as a kid, I remember I had access or I would grab my mom's camera and it was a, a Kodak Instamatic, right? You know, so I had the cartridge, you drop the cartridge into the camera, close the back, you advanced it a little bit and you started taking pictures. And to me, it was m the most fascinating thing that I could take pictures and a week later get them processed and look at them as like my own little personal time machine. <laughs> That's cool. I was... I was really amazed by it. It was fascinating. That's fun. And, you know, we t take that for granted now that we have instant pictures where they didn't used to be instant pictures. We had to wait and be patient and and you, they didn't always turn out right. You had a lot of roles that were probably were just terrible. Right. But how did you stick with it? And what what was it about photography that really captured your interest? As a senior in high school, uh, a buddy of mine wanted to go get some pictures. So we got a roll of tracks film at Kmart. <laughs> and um, I borrowed my dad's fold-out Kodak, and we went out and took some photographs and processed them in his mom's laundry room. Oh, wow. And so we, it was converted into a darkroom for the moment, and it was amazing. We made some contact prints, and um, that was fascinating. So the whole process, and I think the demands of the process were what made it interesting as well knowing that I had to meet those demands in order to have a photograph. The, those aren't so, the, the demands aren't as stringent today. Right. You don't have to work so hard for it. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a good thing. Yeah. Interesting. And there are a lot of people who take photos, who love taking photos, but there are very few really good photojournalists. Right. So what differentiates a photographer from a photojournalist? Uh, the, the ability to see... Really? And it's like, well, everyone can see. Um, I disagree with that. <laughs> I think these days we notice that we can note that people see different things. Yes. Right? Yes. And so it's the ability to see a story and to understand that there are visual elements within a frame, the frame of a photograph or the frame of your camera that help contribute to telling the story. It's, it's a visual language and not everyone has the ability to be... Um, adept at that visual language. I think we can all learn it. In fact, I know everyone can learn it. It's like learning any other kind of language. You just practice. Sure. The more you practice, the more fluent you become in it. And the, the easier it is to access that language when you, 
when you practice and consider what you're trying to do. So how can people develop that kind of sight when they're looking for a story in an image? Because that takes a lot of emotion, a lot of connection to the moment, a lot of presence. What, right. what do you find? And maybe it's just such a habit now that you don't even think about it. But when you first started, how did you learn to capture the emotion in an image? So this will answer your question. But initially, I was so enamored with photography. I mean, I was in love with it. And it's like, photography, I love you. And photography says... <laughs> Be my girlfriend. Says, thank you. <laughs> right? Wow. And so... Harsh. I mean, yes, very harsh. A harsh mistress. And so it took a while to, to figure out, okay, now, how do I speak the language that photography speaks? And so... You learn that there are things like graphic elements. So you have lines in photographs. You have verticals and diagonals and horizontals, and they, they have meaning. So, for example, a horizontal line. When we see a horizontal line, it typically gives us the impression of rest or composure. Hmm. We compare it to a horizon, a sunset. Right. Um, Calming An, o- an ocean scene, yeah. right? That's the horizon line. Hmm. When we think of vertical lines, we have things like trees and buildings, things that are fixed in place, they're upright, they're erect and strong, and they stay in place. So vertical lines give you that impression. The diagonal lines are the ones that are energetic Hmm. because they move across the frame. And then you have the curved lines that have kind of this arabesque that, that is flowing. And so all those lines in a photograph will mean something that contribute to the content that's in it. Wow. That's amazing. But again, I look at, like, I'm looking at out the window here and I I see a tree where you would probably see the lines of the branches and the the way the leaves are arranged and the way they connect with the other trees around it, where I'm like, oh, it's a pretty tree. (laughs) But you're like, no, look at all the lines. So you can look at something and uh, let's say, and just, if you're seeing it in graphic, those graphic terms, you look at it in terms of the energy that it's revealing. Is it a formal or informal energy? And so if it's a formal image, you'll have a tendency to be symmetric Hmm. and very upright. And if it's informal, it can be asymmetric and you can have lines going in all kinds of directions. Typically in photography, what you're trying to do is manage the chaos. Wow. So I I picture maybe like posed photographs as being more asymmetrical where, and that's probably not true, but I mean more symmetrical and then just like the candid one-off shots that are just random that are more asymmetrical where you have maybe something running through a frame that isn't right state so um asymmetry is typically uh connected to more of a candid Hmm. honest organic type of uh, um, impression but formality can be uh, just as candid Hmm. Uh, there are moments that are are very symmetric nature itself has a tendency towards symmetry that's true. And uh, I mean, you look at the symmetry of a tree. It's beautifully symmetric. And so it's um, and it, that can convey something in and of itself. And then artists, the good ones, know how to use that uh, form of composition in the frame that they're trying to create. Right. You know, and we both work for newspapers. We've both worked for newspapers for a long time. And for anybody listening who's a Gen Z, a newspaper is a paper full of news a hard copy paper. So go find one. But when I'm looking through a newspaper, I always look at the pictures first. The picture always captures me first and then the headline and then the text. 
So if you're reading text, it's very linear. It's very information-based, but the picture is where the emotion is. Mm -hmm. And there are really good writers who create emotion in their language, but a picture can describe that language in an instant. Mm -hmm. So how do you... So I, I feel that writing is more intellectual and photos are more emotional. Do you agree with that? I think so. I mean, yeah. there's very emotional language, but right. not, not as succinct as an image. I think so. Um, because of color, uh, photography can be incredibly emotional. So we associate certain emotions with color. Red. Yeah. I mean, you imagine the, the feelings that you get. Uh, it's association with blood, with fire. Um, you get blue, our association with water and sky. Hmm. And so colors can evoke emotion in incredible ways. In black and white, though, without color, with just values, you are left to shapes and textures and line to give you that emotion. And that's when you go back to those descriptions of horizontal, vertical, and diagonal. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I can read an article about homelessness, but I can see a picture of a family living on the streets, and that changes the way I look at that article, the way I look at that situation. Exactly. So if you're trying to, uh, trying to show that in a photograph, you're going to have to consider how the, the graphic lines are contributing to the content. So you're going to have typically a person mm -hmm. that will be in your photograph. How do you want to convey or what kind of energy do you want to reveal by using those graphic elements? Right. And so commonly you would be using more uh, serene, quiet lines and subdued colors. Hmm. Um, and that, that is a, a common way that you can convey any kind of content. You're considering what you're trying to say. Often I would have a student come up to me and, and say, when we were doing work in the darkroom, they would show me their photograph and say, what do you think? And I said, well, um, what was your intention? Hmm. Because I didn't, I know too many that teach photography that it's about what I like and what I don't like. Sure. And I don't like that approach. I didn't like that approach when I was learning photography. Right. It's so subjective. Right. Yeah. And so I asked them, what's your intention? What are you trying to accomplish? And then we can talk about whether that intention is accomplished or not. Right. And what kind of photojournalist did you look up to as you were going through the motions of learning all this? Um, you had the ones that... Um, were that they would cover uh, the White House. They would be a, a, a photographer for the president. Hmm. Um, you would do have ones that would cover uh, wars, you know, the, the Robert Kappas. Right. And um, there are a lot of other really good photographers that, that their whole life is spent trying to cover uh, conflict. James Noctwe is a photographer that's well-known for his war coverage hmm. and showing um, the conflict, the devastation, and the emotional costs. Yeah, of, the brutality. Yeah. Right. And it takes a toll oh, on, yeah. on photographers. Yeah. And so how do you keep your emotional energy high when, I'm sure you've had to cover through the news lots of really hard topics or tragic topics. Right. How do you keep that part of your mind stable so you can get the picture without without your emotions bleeding into it? Or do you want the emotions to bleed into it? Well, um, you hide behind the camera when you're shooting, mm -hmm. basically. When um, this was years ago, we a group of us uh, were doing a documentary 
for uh, nurses in Utah. And so we went up to the burn center, mm. or I was assigned to the burn center. We went to the University of Utah Hospital. There were about a half dozen of us, and we were assigned to different areas. And a woman had come in who was burned at a thigh call explosion. Oh, wow. And um, severely burned. And so I photographed that. And when I came out, it was when you're not behind the camera, it, it's like all the emotions just kind of hit. Hmm. And I had to sit down. I had to get some water. I had to pause, you know, and gather my, myself back together. But I thought, how interesting that when I was in there, and I was in the midst of it, mm-hmm. I was trying to stay out of the way. They had 10 nurses and a doctor working on this one patient. And I was staying out of the way. And one of the nurses noticed that I was trying to stay out of the way. And he said, either get in or get out. <laughs> okay. And so I got in. Right. And they were bumping into me. And they, it didn't bother them one bit. They were so focused on what they were doing. Mm. I wasn't in their way. And I was trying to dance their dance. Right. And um, oh, it was it was brutal. It was gruesome. Mm. She survived. And even after talking to one of the nurses afterwards, he says, sometimes we question whether we're doing good or not because of we can keep them alive and they can live. But what kind of life is it? Wow. But yeah, so sometimes when it gets that tough, you do you have to hide behind your camera. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get anything. Right. And that kind of goes along with the theme of my podcast, you know, how to move away from fear. Uh, and move toward love and connection. Right. Do you find that you have to make a choice to do that, to move through that fear of, oh my gosh, this is going to be gruesome and terrible, but it needs to be told. This is what this is how I connect to my world. That's a, a, a question that a lot of photographers have to ask themselves. Mm. Um, is the photograph that I'm taking now going to contribute or benefit society in the future? Mm. Um, if not... Some photographers have put their camera down and gone and assisted people. Oh, wow. And so you have to realize there are no photographs now. Mm-hmm. Um, some manage to get the shots and help also. Mm-hmm. But it's really difficult to, to, uh, to figure out sometimes what's the best thing for me to do here. Right. Uh, that's a lot of people saying with war journalists, especially, you know, why are they taking pictures? Why aren't they in there helping people who have fallen and are hurting? And there's something to be said for that, but there's something to be said too, that we need a record. We need a record of what's happening. Right. When um, Robert Kennedy was killed in 1968, when he was assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan, um, the photographer was getting photographs because he had been covering the campaign. Hmm. And um, when he was shot, he reflexively, instinctively started taking photographs. And someone yelled at him to stop taking photographs. And he yelled back, this is history. Hmm. I have to. Wow. So, and the and the photographs are, if you've ever yeah, seen I the have. photographs. Yeah, they're, they're tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. But they're a history that we would never have had if he'd put down his camera and walked away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you have to sometimes make that tough decision and realize there will, there will be people who disagree with your 
point of view. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, that's in anything I've decided now. We don't ever agree on anything anymore. <laughs> right. But <laughs> it's right. one big contradiction. Yeah. So besides the ability to hide behind your camera and see the lines and see the emotion, what other, other skills do you need as a, as a photojournalist? Um, you have to like people. Oh, that's, that's why I'm not a photojournalist. <laughs> that explains so much. <laughs> You've got to be out in public. <laughs> if you don't like people, or at least if you're not intrigued by people. Right. I, and am, their be- I am intrigued. And their behaviors and um, their psychologies and just how they present themselves. Mm-hmm. You'll make a lousy photojournalist. <laughs> it's hard to do that when you're in your bedroom in bed with a book. <laughs> right. You know, the, the majority of, of photojournalism is really about people and what they do. Hmm. Um, landscape photography is not photojournalism. Right, right. We think sometimes fashion is photojournalism, but it's on the yeah, outside, yeah. right? But it's really about it's about people, what people do, um, and how interesting incredibly and infinitely interesting people can be. Yeah. And I think we've seen that a lot over the past maybe six years of the interesting people that we have in our country. Right. And that is just an understatement. But but seeing photos of people doing different things over the last few years, whether it's at protests or just angry people, which seems to be the kind of the theme of the pictures lately, has been, like you said, really intriguing to have that that record of going from a certain amount of calm to frothing at the mouth, rabies type like behavior. Right. And to have that documented, which is like you said, very intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> very discouraging, but very intriguing. <laughs> right. Right. I, I think that it's amazing how how interesting people can be in an endless source of uh, inspiration to photograph. So what was the first time that you took a photo that you considered was photojournalism? Well um, if we throw National Geographic into the photojournalistic uh, realm, yeah, they're like kings. Right. <laughs> um, as a family, we lived in Cincinnati at the time in 1970. We came out to, to the West. We came out to Utah and on our way out. We went through Yellowstone. And I borrowed my mom's camera and, and snapped a bunch of photos of Old Faithful going off. So, I mean, it was before at least for com- consumers, it was before motor drives, right? <laughs> right. I'm making my own motor drive. <laughs> right. We get the pictures back and mom wants to kill me because I've taken eight pictures of this water, <laughs> this spout of water just going off. And it's, what are you doing? And I'm like, but look how cool this is. <laughs> so, yeah. That's nice. She wasn't impressed. But you considered that was your first experience with photojournalism. <laughs> I think so. I think so. My actual first photograph that I processed was a couple years later when I was with my buddy. And I got a picture of him on a swinging bridge that was over uh, a creek, a small, a small ravine kind of area. And he's kind of leaning out, but it's, you know, just one of those guy wire bridges with wood planks for the platform. And um, that could be a that could be considered a form of photojournalism, especially as time passes and they build a nice bridge that's strong <laughs> right. and sturdy. Um, it can have be kind of a historical record. Right. I know when my grandma passed away and they sold her home, I went to her house and took pictures of all the rooms, the outside, you know, the backyard, just so I would have that not just in my memory, but an actual physical remembrance of what it looked like. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you bring that up. I, I worry about where we are today with photography hmm. because essentially 
everyone has a camera in their pocket. Literally right? everybody has a camera. <laughs> they talk on it, they text on it, and they take pictures with it. Right. But I worry that we don't have a a resource or a catalog of our experience. I don't know how many mm. people go back through the pictures on their phone to look at their life that just recently in the near recent history occurred. Right. And I think that what we need to start doing is printing these things out. Yeah. And having evidence so that we can show them to others that doesn't require a battery, that doesn't require some kind of <laughs> interface. Right. Um, so we think that this technology we have will last forever. Mm -hmm. I have a, a CD of images, uh, Kodak, on a gold disc. And, yeah, the disc will last forever and the right. images will last <laughs> forever. Be there. yep. But the file format to read it is almost non-existent now. Right. You have to go searching for it in order to even see the pictures on that disc. Hmm. Yeah, I know my husband has a whole bunch of eight millimeter films that he'd love to trans transfer to digital, but yeah, he he can't look at them. He just right. doesn't know what's on them anymore. Yeah, and can't. so that's one area where technology has been a great. Uh, um, it kind of democratizes photography, mm -hmm. but it can also be dangerous because it's a double edged sword. We can lose the technology, or it advances and evolves to the point that. It's no longer readable anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would not want to be running the Library of Congress <laughs> and trying to figure out where this is all. Wow. Oh, yeah, that would be a nightmare. I hadn't even thought about that. All the ebooks and all the. Right. Yeah, that'd be a nightmare. And how formats change and mm -hmm. evolve and one can't read the other in the past. Right. So. so hard copies are kind of the way to go. I know every year I give my daughters a calendar with pictures from the past year. So right. they have the record of that of that year, what we did together as a family, what their, how their kids changed over the year. And it's always fun for me to go through those photos again and look at it and remember. But yeah, I, I print it up. I give them an actual hard copy picture, copy of those pictures because I, I agree. I think it means something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, too, that that we we get in our own way of capturing history when we try to present it with its Sunday best on. <laughs> right. Right. Um, whether that's people smiling or... Yeah, I saw a picture. It was only a couple. Not of being real. A couple of days ago, smiling so hard, oh. I was wondering if there were gastrointestinal problems <laughs> because it did not look very comfortable. They're grimacing, smiling. Oh, you know, we make fun of the pictures from the 1900s. You know, they look so stern. Right. Um, two reasons for that. One of them was the technology because the exposure times were so long. Right. You couldn't hold a smile for that long, right? And so you just shaking. you just sat there, mm -hmm. and so it caught, it caught a real expression. It wasn't just that they were grumpy; that was just their real expression. They're just sitting there. Yeah, we right? call it rich, uh, resting bitch face now, but yes. it's, it's just our, the way we look. <laughs> it was real. <laughs> it was real. Yeah. Um, but now, if you if you're seen that way, we connote all kinds of meaning to right, it. Right. Right. And it's like, whoa, what a mean oh, person. She's so grunchy. Grunchy. I don't know what grunchy means. Grouchy. Right. Um, and and it, it, that's, it's not really very fair. So we're trying to create a false world. Hmm. Uh, sometimes we don't like the real world, though. I, I agree. I think, I think that is a great statement. We're trying to create a false world. I think we always have been. I don't think we're comfortable with what reality is. You know, we're always looking for something better and brighter and shinier and, and funner. But learning how to be 
in the moment, which is what photography is, is being and capturing that real moment, you know, the real experience of real life. We don't do that enough. Do we have a fear? staged and filtered. I think we might have a fear, Roger. <laughs> a fear of seeing reality. And I, 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 I'm really good at being present. I'm really good at enjoying the moment. But if I have a post a picture, it better be filtered and, and staged. And I better look at like a million dollars so I don't ever post any pictures. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, I think that's... Um, and it's interesting. So this was uh, last year when kids started getting the vaccine shots. Uh-huh. I had a series of three or four photographs. And um, the, the little girl initially was happy and she was about to get the shot and you could see happy's gone <laughs> fear right she gets the shot and then the moment of injection i took a photograph and she has this wow. utter terror <laughs> on her face <laughs> and they pull it out and go to put the bandage on and she's back to happier right you know not as happy initially but happier and I thought, which picture tells the truth? Oh, because we're so caught up in, oh, photography, you know, it tells the truth. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> Are you sure? And so where does truth lie? Does right. truth lie in a single moment or does truth lie in a multitude of moments? Right. Yeah, because she, she was happy. That was true. She was scared. That was true. And she was relieved. That was true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think we're really good at creating our own realities visually. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. So, what when you you do you, you do a lot of sports photography too? I do a lot of action shots, mm-hmm. and you always seem to capture the emotion of the athletes, either on in their physical expression or the way their bodies are moving. What kind of practice does, does that take? Because sports photography is a whole different level of right. getting in there and finding the right moment. Uh, it takes a lot of pain. Basically, um, it takes years of frustration and knowing where to point your camera um, at the right time, at the right place, and being close enough. Um, And it took me years to come up with a phrase to describe what a good sports photograph should be. Mm -hmm. And I finally realized that it's the expression of contest. Mm. And I'm thinking the expression of contests, we have the graphic expression of those lines that we talked about, but you also have the physical expression of the face. And because you have two teams that are typically playing, you can now have lines that are, in essence, contesting each other. Mm-hmm. Diagonals, of course, would be the, right. the greatest way to, u- to utilize that. And so the expression of contest has really helped me... Um, refine my eye and know where to look. And so last week, last Thursday, I shot uh, football up at the University of Utah. Farmington was playing, and um, I got some shots that I was pretty happy with. And it made me realize that years earlier, when I would watch a quarterback drop back in the pocket and put his arm back, I would wasn't anticipating what would be next? Well, what is coming next is a pass. Mm-hmm. And so as I watched him drop back, I pulled my eye away from the camera and scanned the field quickly to figure out where to point my camera because I have a long lens on and right. it's just covering a small area. And so I watched these, uh, these two players come running down the sideline and I pointed my camera 
at them, and just as he caught the ball and the other player was going up to defend it, I was able to get the shot. Wow. Because I had anticipated what was going to happen. Right. Like a fortune teller, a future, a soothsayer. <laughs> right. Right. Your you're fortune Yeah, you're magic. That's very cool. And you brought some pictures. What, what pictures did you bring here? Oh, I brought some photographs that convey the history of photography. There have just been some incredibly smart, intelligent, curious people. Hmm. Um, I th- I'm, I'm so worried that we've lost that because it's too easy. Yeah. You take your phone out and you, you click on the little camera icon and you move it around and press that little button and you're done. And not only that, but you can Photoshop anything you want. You can. Into that picture. Right. Yeah. You can take out your ex. You can, <laughs> yeah. you your, can put in Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right. And so our connection to truth and reality has become <laughs> even further removed. Right. But these people um, had an incredible curiosity. Behind that curiosity, they had some talent in chemistry and in optics, hmm. and they combined those to really produce some amazing things. So, for example, George Lawrence. Um, in 1906, San Francisco had a huge earthquake and destroyed half the city. From the bay, he took his camera that weighed 49 pounds, oh, and wow. he attached, to what, attached it to what he called the captive airship. And it was a series of uh, box kites that flew in the breeze of the bay and lifted the camera 2,000 feet in the air, connected to a cable and a cable release so that he could take photographs of the destroyed area of San Francisco. Oh my gosh. Absolutely That is so creative. Right. Yeah. Well, he was so creative that he loved those higher aerial perspectives like we do today, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, with drones. Yeah. yeah, Drones are fabulous. He built a a ladder, it should really be called a contraption, because he got up on it. I think he was about 30 feet high, and a wind caught him, and he got injured pretty bad. Oh, I bet. He pretty much folded the camera, or the folded up the ladder and put it in his garage oh. and didn't try that anymore. <laughs> but he was just so inventive. Huh. I, and and the, the curiosity and inventive nature of these early photographers is fascinating. Hmm. And I think if we could harness some of that energy and foresight in our own photography, I think it might help improve what we do. Right. And if it were harder, I think it would improve what we do. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. So we've only got a couple of minutes left, but what are some just easy tips that you can give to just the layperson photographer that wants to improve their photography, that wants to capture that emotion, that image? What are maybe one or two tips you would give to them to to improve their pictures. I think Robert Kappa, a famous war photographer in World War II, said it best, if your pictures aren't good enough, you're not close enough. Oh, wow. And to me, that's probably the most common problem that I see with my students. Hmm. They see something in the frame, but then the brain takes over and that becomes the thing. Oh, right. Instead of seeing all of the things that are in the frame that are distracting from their intention. Hmm. And so get closer, get uncomfortable, 
uncomfortably close. <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember when I was at a, a a trek event with kids, I was assigned to take photographs of the kids. And I thought, what would be interesting? And the interesting thing was getting up close. And so I put on a wide-angle lens that allowed me to be within... I was probably six inches from their face. Oh, wow. I warned them before I did. I said, I'm going to be super close. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Right. But it was one of, so after we put together the slideshow and everyone got back together and we showed that, it was one of the funnest parts of the show. Wow. It distorts noses and chins and foreheads <laughs> sure. and things like that. But it was so dang fun. That's fun. And because I was so close to the person, you have this intimate connection that you, you get to explore in a different way. Right. I love that. So getting closer. Okay. Um, the other one is to try and remove yourself from the experience of taking the photograph and become a viewer of your photograph. Oh, interesting. And that makes it more, um, you can be more critical, but this is hard mm -hmm. because when we create something, it's me. Yeah, you're invested it's personal, in it. Yeah. Right. And if someone criticizes it or doesn't like it, well, then they don't like me. Right. And it's not, <laughs> I'm it's, a failure. it's not true. <laughs> right. It's not true. You are you. Right. This is just a photograph. And so if you can divest yourself from the experience of shooting it and say, does the content in the frame evoke in me the feelings I had of being there? Mm. Because if they can do that, your your photograph will be will connect with other people. So you want it to look like you're an observer and not just a photographer, or yeah. that you're is that saying it right? Yeah, you want as you critique it, you want to be an observer and not the photographer who took it because you know how hard it was mm -hmm. to take the photograph mm -hmm. and how many miles you had to walk and <laughs> the heat and the oppression and all of those things that went into getting this incredible photograph that right. no one seems to be responding to. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can remove yourself that way, you'll be a better critic of your own work. Don't be afraid to ask people what they think. Don't take it as the gospel truth, mm -hmm. but listen to see if they are connecting with the photographs. So I, and I've tried to do that cautiously with my sp specifically sports photography mm -hmm. to see how it connects with people. And I've come to realize that some of the things that um, connect with people are the emotions within the frame. Um, and, and those can be of the winners or of the losers. Uh, it's not just the game itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, for guys, it can be the game. But for a lot of other people, it can be the emotional experiences of winning or losing that are conveyed in a photograph. Wow. And that, connects, that can connect with people. Yeah. And use color to your advantage, right? Think about what color says. And the emotional and psychological connection that color has to our brains and to our hearts, and then utilize that in your in the frame. That's beautiful. You make it sound so easy. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> I know if it it's were? not. I know it is not. It, but. but if you practice, that's yeah. the other thing. Hmm. Practice and fail, and practice and fail, and practice and fail, and one day you'll practice and go, "Dang, I like that," and so does everyone else. Wow, it's gonna be a good feeling. I haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> I'm still practicing. <laughs> Well, thank you, Roger. This has been, I just love talking photos with you. You're so knowledgeable. And if people want to register for your documentary class, they can go online to the University of Utah, register. Yeah, it, it's uh, COM 5555. Oh, wow. And um, So you have to know your stuff. So you got, 
you got to know your camera and you have to be able to use your photography as a um, a social cause. Hmm. Like Lewis Hine in uh, the early 1900s, he got so tired of seeing kids working at factories that he started photographing them. And several years later, legislation was passed to outlaw child labor. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. You just don't know what difference you're going to make in the you world. You can. Yeah. You can. Yeah, Even yeah. if it's in your own personal family. Yeah. Just this morning, I was showing my granddaughter some pictures of her when she was one year old. She's wearing an extra pair of my glasses, and I've got a <laughs> pair of glasses on, and we're side by side. She's in the high chair. And it was interesting to see her connection to that photograph. Oh, yeah. It was pretty cool. That's fun. Yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you for being here today. I love talking to you and I hope you have a, a wonderful holiday, a wonderful day. And I will. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Yes, you will. <laughs> and thank you for listening, listeners. I appreciate your time and your investment in this podcast. Love you all. Have a great day. Do you want more life and laughter? Check out my blog at lnlcoaching.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Life and Laughter Coaching. See you again soon.